0: Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In the final message of the Cultivate series, Pastor Rob shows how the parable of the sower provides guidance on how Valley attenders can cultivate equipped disciples. Now here is Pastor Rob. Let's pray together.
1: Gracious God, in your presence, we pray today asking that you would speak to us. And as you're speaking, God, we pray that you would remove any obstacles that there are in our lives to hearing from you. God, would you make us ready to listen, ready to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How can the church cultivate disciples? It's the fourth question that we're asking as I'm trying to assemble a picture of where we might be going in the next few years. For me, the direction that we are headed as a church is summarized in the phrase Full Valley engagement cultivates disciples who impact our world for Christ. Full Valley engagement cultivates disciples who impact our world. For Christ. That summarizes what I believe God's vision is for us for the next several years. We began talking about that several weeks ago, and in week one, we talked about impact, the way that God can use us to impact the world for Christ. Then in the second week, we asked, What is a disciple? And and how does God make disciples? Then in week three, we asked the question, If we are to mature as disciples, how do we engage with our faith? And that brings us now in week four to asking the question, how can the church cultivate disciples? Now, this word cultivate, I think, is a fantastic word to describe what it is that we do together in the church to help disciples mature. The word Cultivate is a term from agriculture, and it calls to mind the whole process of tilling soil, of planting seeds, of fertilizing, and watering. And that really is an apt image for what we in the church can do to cultivate disciples. It also recognizes the fact, though, that God is the one who has to cause the sun to shine, the rain to fall, and seeds to grow. God is the one, ultimately, who causes disciples to mature. Trying to see my lawn return to green has been a powerful lesson for me in cultivating. You see, the dirt in my my yard is bad dirt. High pH, we've got trees all over the place covering things. And two years ago, when my wife and I moved into our house, we moved in in the middle of a drought that nearly killed all the grass in our lawn. And so since then, it's been a process of trying to cultivate that, that yard, that lawn, back to green and lush, which is what I love. And so I started by putting lime down to change the pH in the soil. I started fertilizing. On top of that, I, I started aerating and overseeding once a year to start putting grass back in the ground. And it's hard work. We're making progress, just so you know. It's, it's good. There, there are brown spots, there are weeds, and there's moss. But we're making progress. And and it's a reminder to me that cultivating is hard work. Cultivating is our work. We cultivate disciples. We cultivate people maturing as disciples in Christ. And that's a reminder that the church has a role to play in cultivating disciples. I hope that comes as good news to you today, because you may get the impression that for you to mature as a disciple is work that belongs to you and to you alone. It's all on you, But the good news is that the church has a role to play in cultivating disciples, in helping disciples to mature. To see what that role is, we're going to turn today to a parable, a story that Jesus told. And as we study this parable today, we're going to come away understanding, first of all, what it says about who we are as disciples It's going to give us a framework for understanding our own maturation as disciples, and it will show us what the church can do to encourage disciples to grow. So the parable that Jesus told is, of course, a parable about a farmer, about seed, soil, and crops. Jesus told this parable as the crowds around him were growing You see, the crowds around Jesus were growing because he was doing ministry publicly. He was teaching. He was working miracles. And so people looked at him as kind of a superstar. They wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted what Jesus offered them. They didn't really want Jesus. And in some ways, that reminds us that we can be the very same today. We love the things that we get from Jesus We love forgiveness. We love the concept of eternal life. We love the idea of the Holy Spirit being with us, that we might live abundant lives now. But when it comes to the concept of Jesus being in charge and us obeying Jesus, that concept is a little bit more difficult. Jesus recognized this about the crowd that was around him and so he told this parable in a sense to confront them and to confront us. And so we come to Luke chapter 8 verses 4 through 15, the parable of the sower. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to ta- after town came to him, Jesus said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundred hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So now let's take a closer look at this parable. In it, we find that we have a farmer, a sower, one who is going out and scattering seed. It represents proclaiming the word of God. The seed that is scattered is the Word of God, and it is scattered over soil. And soil represents the spiritual condition of the one receiving the Word of God. And then you have a crop. The soil produces a plant that yields a crop in keeping with the condition of the soil. And so the seed is scattered on four different types of soil. The first type of soil that the seed is scattered on is the path that the soil was walking on itself. Jesus says that some of the seed falls on the path, but the path is packed down. And so the seed has no way to get into the soil. In fact, birds come along as a result and eat the seed. And Jesus says that this path seed represents those who have hardened hearts and are unable to hear the word of God when it's proclaimed. As a result, the devil comes along and snatches away the word of God that has been proclaimed. The person is not saved and not cleansed by the word of God. And so, in terms of plants, we have no plant. We have no grain. We have no crop. The second seed, batch, falls instead on the rock or the rocky soil. There's a little bit of dirt. The seed springs up very quickly. You find a plant beginning to grow, but along comes what Jesus calls a time of testing. The sun beats down on that plant, and because there is no place for the roots to go, there's no moisture, and the plant withers and dies. And Jesus says this symbolizes the one who hears the word of God, who receives it, who sees growth come quickly, but who does nothing to put down roots that nourish that one spiritually. Along come times of testing. And in times of testing, we discover that while things look good above the surface, nothing was going on underneath. And times of testing come in all of our lives. And Jesus says for this batch of seed, when that time of testing comes... The plant withers and dies. There is a plant, but there is no grain, no crop. A third batch of seed fell among the thorns, fell in the weedy dirt. And Jesus says that the plant springs up quickly, it begins to grow, but so do the weeds, so do the thorns. And as the plant grows, the weeds outpace the plant, and they choke the growth of the plant, the plant dies. And Jesus says this symbolizes those of us who receive the word of God. We, we let it start to grow in our lives, but we have so many distractions that they choke out the progress of the word of God in our lives. Jesus acknowledges there's some bad distractions. Sometimes we have worries and problems that come along that distract us from what God is doing in our lives. But then he says there are times there are good distractions, wealth and possessions and jobs and and the pace of life come along, and those are good distractions. But at the same time, if they're distracting us from God's work in our lives, they, like the bad problems and distractions in our lives, choke out the progress of the Word of God in our lives. And so Jesus says there is this third group of people for whom the Word of God takes root, Up comes a plant, but the distractions of life choke it. So there's a plant, but once again, there's no grain and there's no crop. Then there is a fourth batch of seed, and it falls on the good soil. This is the soil that's deep, it's rich, it's being tilled up and tended. The weeds are removed. The seed takes root there. A plant comes up, and one seed yields at least 100 more seeds of grain. And Jesus says, these are those who hear the word of God, who receive it, who have hearts that are ready and prepared, who put down roots, and who endure, and in enduring, produce a great harvest. For us, that means there's a plant and there is a crop. That means that we have Christian character coming up in our lives. Righteous living is happening and we make more disciples of Jesus. There's a plant, there's a harvest, there is a crop. This is Jesus' parable of the sower. Now, it is possible for us to read this parable, and that's what I want to do today. Let's read this parable as a call to cultivate disciples. Let's read this parable as a call to cultivate disciples. There are many ways that we could read this parable, but when we read it as a call to cultivate disciples, it yields some profound insights for us. First of all, reading it as a call to cultivate disciples pushes us to optimize outcomes It pushes us to optimize outcomes. You see, as we read this parable, we recognize that as disciples, we can produce a lot of things in our lives. If we are maturing as disciples, we are going to produce Christian character and right living, and those are important things. But as we read this as a call to cultivate disciples, we recognize that there is an inherent call in Jesus' parable of the sower to yield much fruit, to multiply, for disciples to make many more disciples who make many more disciples. Reading this as a call to cultivate disciples helps us to recognize the end that Jesus has in mind in this parable. We optimize outcomes. We expect ourselves as maturing disciples to make many disciples who make many disciples. Reading this as a call to cultivate disciples also helps us to analyze the conditions that we see. You see, as we think about the process of cultivating disciples, of of helping another person to mature as a disciple of Jesus, then we have to know who they are and where they are in life. What is the spiritual condition of their lives? And as we approach this parable through that lens of cultivating disciples... We recognize it helps us to know the spiritual condition of another person. We have questions that we can lean into another person's life and ask How are they receiving the Word of God? How are they developing the roots that nourish them spiritually? And how are they doing at removing the obstacles in their lives and the distractions in their lives? We have a lens through which to analyze the conditions in another person's life. Reading this parable as a call to cultivate disciples also calls us to help the process, You see, if this is a call to cultivate disciples, and we are working to cultivate disciples ourselves, if we understand that we are supposed to help other people mature as disciples of Jesus, then we recognize we have to help people receive the word of God. We also recognize that we have to ask the question, how can I help you put down strong roots so that you can be spiritually nourished yourself? We recognize that we have to ask the question about the people we care about. How can we help you to remove the distractions and the obstacles in your life that are between you and a maturing faith? And we recognize the outcome that we're wanting them to see. Yes, we want them to see Christian character. Yes, we want them to see righteous living. But yes, we want to see them making disciples who make disciples. We recognize the outcomes. When we see this as a call to cultivate disciples... We have a whole lens through which we can approach people. At the same time, when we read this as a call to cultivate disciples, we have categories that can help us understand our own spiritual journeys as well. We recognize that we can be asking about ourselves. How am I doing at receiving the Word of God? We can ask about ourselves. How am I doing at putting down roots that nourish me spiritually? And we can ask, what are the distractions that stand between me and God, the bad ones and the good ones? And we can ask about ourselves, what am I doing to yield fruit for the kingdom of God? Reading this as a call to cultivate disciples helps us to understand ourselves as disciples. How might we cultivate disciples at Valley? There are four things I want to suggest today about how we might cultivate disciples here at Valley. First of all, this parable suggests that we plant seeds together. We plant seeds together, which means that we proclaim the Word of God together. Now, let me follow through what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 8 to what he says and does in Luke chapter 9 and 10 to help you understand what I mean. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is talking about what it takes to cultivate disciples. Then in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends his 12 apostles out to scatter seed to proclaim the word of God. Then in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples to proclaim the word of God. This time, Jesus sends those disciples out in pairs. And in both Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, after calling us to cultivate disciples... In Luke chapter 8, in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends his apostles and his disciples out to make disciples, to proclaim the word of God, he says, as you proclaim the word of God, here's what I also want you to do. I want you to serve the needs of people. I want you to share the good things that I have put in your lives, and I want you to extend hospitality to people because it will validate what you are proclaiming about the word of God. So Luke chapter 8 is followed by Luke chapters 9 and 10, which help us to understand what it means to plant seeds together. How might we cultivate disciples at Valley? There are some things that we learn. First of all, of course, we proclaim the Word of God. Yes, we proclaim and teach the Word of God. But secondly, we recognize that we do a better job of proclaiming and studying the Word of God when we do it together. Just think about the difference that together makes in your own life. If you study the Word of God all by yourself, which you should, it makes a difference in your life. But when you study the Word of God along with other people, the difference that it makes in your life begins to grow exponentially. We proclaim the Word of God. We do so together. And just as Jesus told his disciples to serve, to share the good things that he had done in their lives, and to extend hospitality to people when they go and proclaim... We discover that as followers of Jesus, when we proclaim the word of God, we also connect and serve and share. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? Planting seed together means that we proclaim the word of God together in a system that includes connecting and sharing and serving. We plant seed together. Secondly, we till the soil I believe that this, while it's an agricultural image, is an image that makes complete and total sense about what it is we do. We till up the soil. We turn over the soil. We water. We, we get rid of weeds. We fertilize together. To understand just how important this is, recognize that Jesus comes back to this topic later. In Luke chapter 13, he tells another parable, a parable about a fig tree, And in this parable, Jesus says there's a person who owns a fig tree. The person who owns this fig tree goes to the gardener and asks how the fig tree has produced. And the gardener says it hasn't produced anything. The owner of the fig tree is ready to cut down the fig tree because it hasn't produced. But the gardener says, give me one more year. Let me till up the soil, let me fertilize it, and next year, let's see what this tree has produced. Now, this is a parable that talks about so many things, but in it, we recognize the critical importance of tilling the soil if we are to cultivate disciples. So what does this mean for us at Valley? How might we cultivate disciples? It means that together, we want to teach what what disciples need to know. We want to give disciples the tools that disciples need for following Jesus and teach disciples how to use those tools. And we want to encourage one another in living the Christian life and in using the tools that a disciple is supposed to know how to use. That's what it looks like to till the soil. We teach one another, we equip one another, we encourage one another. We're tilling the soil. And then we help people pull weeds. We help people pull weeds, and that means very practically that we make clear what God expects. We make clear what distractions are from what God expects, and we have tough conversations. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 15, or in John chapter 15. In that verse, in that passage, Jesus says that he is a vine, and we are like branches on that vine, Because we are on that vine, we are expected to bear much fruit, to produce fruit. And Jesus says, you will bear much fruit if you abide in me, you remain in me. Which leads to the question, what what do you mean to remain in you or abide in you? What does that mean? And Jesus says, to remain in me, to abide in me is to love me. And you say, okay, good, that's more specific. You want me to love you. What does it mean to love you, Jesus? And Jesus responds by saying to love me is to obey me. In John chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So let's see what he's saying here now. He's saying that when we obey him, we love him. When we love him, we abide in him. When we abide in him, we bear much fruit. And so what he's describing here is a process whereby we align our lives with living the way Jesus calls us to live. We pull weeds. So what does this mean for us here at Valley? How might we cultivate disciples? It means that we have to be honest. We have to be honest about the distractions that keep us from following Jesus. We have to proclaim truth and we have to proclaim it clearly and applicably in our lives. And we have to have honest and difficult conversations. We have to be honest about where we are in life and we have to be willing to lean into other people's lives and speak truth with grace and love. We have to help people pull weeds. So we plant seeds together, we till the soil, we help people pull weeds. We trust God for the growth. We trust God for the growth. You see, we do everything that we can to till the soil, to cultivate the soil. We turn it over. We plant seeds. We water. We fertilize. We do everything that we can. But at the end of the day, we recognize that still God is the one who causes the sun to shine, the rain to fall, and growth to come. And that reminds us that while we do the difficult job of cultivating disciples with one another, prayer is our most important weapon. If we are going to cultivate disciples, we must be praying people who are praying over God, cultivating disciples in our midst and through us. We must be people of prayer. I believe this leaves us with a call, and that call is simple. Let's cultivate disciples together here at Valley. Let's cultivate disciples together here at Valley. Now, as I say that, I recognize that the parable of the sower reminds us that that's not natural. The parable of the sower reminds us in powerful and vivid ways that that our natural state after the fall is to be self-focused and self-centered. You see, the beginning of the parable of the sower, when he's talking about the path, the path is our natural state in life. The path symbolizes a hardened heart. We naturally have hardened hearts. We're we're naturally resistant to the Word of God. And so naturally, when the Word of God is spoken to us, it lays there dormant and fallow, doing nothing. And temptations come along and take it away. That's the natural state, the natural self-centered state that we live in. And Jesus goes on in the parable to remind us that it's natural to us to be shallow, to have no roots that go down, to, to not dig those roots deep and, and be spiritually nourished. It's natural to be shallow. And Jesus even reminds us that it's natural to be distracted, to be distracted by the bad things and by the good things, pulled away by both of them. The parable of the sower really describes our natural fallen state. But the gospel confronts that natural, fallen, self-centered state that we find ourselves in. I've told you before that the gospel saves us from some things and it saves us to some things. The gospel saves us from sin and death and bondage to evil. It saves us from our aloneness, our self-centeredness. It saves us from our wandering and our purposelessness. The gospel points us to and saves us through forgiveness, through eternal life, through vibrant, free lives here and now. The gospel saves us to one another, to a purpose, and to the church. The gospel is constantly calling us away from our self-focused lives and pointing us to one another, to God's purpose for our lives, and to the church. And so as the gospel continues to work in our lives, as we become disciples of Jesus, it becomes more and more natural for us to cultivate disciples As we become disciples of Jesus and the gospel begins to yield fruit in our lives, it becomes natural for us to proclaim the word of God, to just talk naturally about the things that God is doing in our lives. And not only that, as the gospel takes root in our lives, it becomes natural to cultivate disciples in other people, to do the work of planting seeds and tilling soil and pulling weeds and praying. becomes very natural for us to do that. As we become followers of Jesus, as we mature as disciples, it becomes very natural for us to cultivate disciples ourselves. Which points me back to the life of a man named Solomon Stoddard. Solomon Stoddard teaches us what it looks like to cultivate disciples. Solomon Stoddard lived and pastored in Northampton, Massachusetts in the years leading up to 1728. He died in 1728, and I know some of you are thinking, oh, yay, another dead guy. Rob O'Neill is talking about dead guys. And I know that you sometimes would say, hey, what about somebody who's alive today? And I point to figures in history because figures in history give us the benefit of perspective. We can see their lives and legacies more clearly. Solomon Stoddard pastored in Northampton, Massachusetts for decades leading up to 1728. And during his tenure in Northampton, Massachusetts, he cultivated disciples. He called people to faith in Jesus. He called people to prayer and renewal. And wave after wave of renewal spread through the church in Northampton, Massachusetts during his lifetime. As I told you, he died in 1728, and after he died, his grandson, Jonathan Edwards, became pastor of the church in Northampton. The First Great Awakening broke out during the pastorate of Jonathan Edwards. And if you read the histories of that First Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards gets a lot of credit for the birth and the growth of that First Great Awakening. But what I'm here to tell you today is that it was Solomon Stoddard's cultivating work faithfully over decades that set the context for Jonathan Edwards' great ministry in Northampton, Massachusetts. Without Solomon Stoddard... There may be no Jonathan Edwards. Solomon Stoddard shows us what it is to cultivate disciples faithfully for decades. Solomon Stoddard reminds us what Jesus is driving at here in the parable of the sower. Cultivate disciples. If I have decades left in my life, I want to do what Solomon Stoddard did with his life. Let's cultivate disciples together here at Valley. Cultivating disciples who impact the world for Christ is the New Testament's teaching, it's Jesus' teaching. Cultivating disciples who impact the world for Christ is the DNA on which Valley is built. It is the 46-plus-year history of this church. And it's who we are right now. Let's cultivate disciples together.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon Podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.